Hey, Misha. Oh, wait, that's me. Shit. <laughs> Would you believe the impossible just happened? <laughs> We're quarantine is over? No. Oh. Please tell me quarantine is over. Okay, okay, no, okay. Tell, okay. tell me quarantine <laughs> is over and then tell me the truth. Okay, quarantine's over, but that's a lie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The truth is something else has happened. Justice League, your favorite movie and mine, is getting a Snyder Cut. I love that Justice League movie like I love Ebola. (laughs) (laughs) No, but for real, bro, for real. Uh, So who knew we're uh, getting a re-release of the infamous Justice, the controversial, the polarizing uh, Justice League movie. Uh, We're getting a Snyder Cut. And I think today is a great time to start talking about all the different ways movies get sliced and diced into director's cuts, alternative cuts, and extended cuts. This is not going to end well. Okay, fine. Here we are. We're now officially living in a world where the Snyder Cut has been acknowledged by the powers that be to the point that they're going to release it on HBO Max next year. Whether it's going to be in the form of an extended film or an episodic presentation, we don't know. Wow, I hadn't even considered that. No, they 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 just said that it's coming. They didn't say what form it would take. Remember, mm. Snyder's been saying all along his original cut was like four hours long. So if they do that whole thing, they could easily chop it up into two or three parts. Mm, yeah, well, you know, honestly, uh, uh, I'm in disbelief that this is going to happen because maybe I'm talking on my my ass here, but I thought the Snyder Cut didn't exist. I'm not saying that Zach never had a vision of his own or anything like that, but right. the idea the idea of the hashtag movement released the Snyder Cut was the idea that there existed an actual film that was complete, effects complete, you know, the whole like shape of the film was finished before Snyder right. was allegedly kicked out of the project or taken off the project. Well, and that... That interloper Yoss Whedon came over to like ruin his vision. Look, for me, okay, okay. I think my interpretation of a cut in this case was even if the effects weren't done, mm. that basically the story existed in some form or other. There was a rough edit already, something that you could judge. Um, An asse- in- assembly cut or something, or a work print edition. Maybe, One of those fancy maybe. words, right? Right. But, you know, it didn't necessarily have to be polished. But the mm-hmm. common the consensus or the company line has always been that he still had a chunk of stuff that he would have to shoot to make it watchable. But now, in a time when nobody is allowed to shoot anywhere, they're saying, we got everything we need, we can put it together, we can finish it, and we can show it to you. Sometimes We have the here. money, we have the technology. <laughs> we can rebuild it. Yeah, wow. I just made a reference wow. to a TV show that's before my time. I don't know. You're like 44. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. The thing is, the thing about this, um, releasing a film after the fact in a form that was intended by its original creator after he'd already been replaced by somebody else to do the theatrical release, this is not something that's unprecedented. That's right. Um, the, sa- the same thing happened to Richard Donner when he was doing Superman the movie. 
I don't know. Um, I know you're 44, but I'm going to refresh your memory anyway. Because you were like a baby, I guess. <laughs> Basically, Richard Donner was hired to do two Superman movies back to back. Because it was going to be cheaper than shooting two separate movies, right? So you shoot them all at the same time. Put out two movies. You save on the production. Basically, what they did to um, like the Lord of the Rings and um, I fr- nothing else comes to mind right now because it's midnight, guys. Give me a break. <laughs> so Richard Donner was hired to do two Superman movies and he shot them for like a year, year and a half. But as the production went on, as delays happened, he was told at some point, stop shooting bits of two, just put all your energy into one. And then we'll worry about two after one comes out. So that's what they did. They shifted gears. They finished one. It was a big hit. Mm. Christopher Reeve, to this day, remains Superman in many people's minds. But what happened was, because the producers, a couple of French guys, decided they didn't want to work with this opinionated American director anymore, they fired him. They basically fired him and hired the director of Help to... Take over what was left of <laughs> I don't two. Know that movie to, is. That's the Beatles. How dare you? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, because they wanted their interpretation of comics was more of a slapstick approach. So, mm. if you watch Superman two, the theatrical cut, it is absolutely clear that they got their way. It's slapstick yeah, like, no, in all I, I the wrong ways. Mean. I get what you mean because right? it's like 19, 1979, 1982. It's like less than two decades from the camp of Batman, you know, where and the uh, silliness of the Wonder, Wonder Twins, wherein superheroes still hadn't been mythologized as just sort of like modern adult mythology or whatever. Right. But as campy as the original Superman movie was in 79 or 78, 79, um, as campy as that movie was with Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor and all that. Something that Richard Donner insisted on from the very beginning was verisimilitude. Because he said, we're creating the equivalent of an American myth. We have to take it seriously. Because it's a guy in blue underwear with a cape flying around. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. But if we find the right guy and if we treat it with respect, it can be something that people will take seriously. And that's exactly why they, what they did. That's why if you watch mm. that movie, the first two acts spend all of their effort grounding it in some kind of reality. Krypton, they got Marlon Brando to be Jor-El. He plays it absolutely straight. They shoot the Smallville scenes like a John Ford movie. It's some of the mm. most beautiful all-American. Uh, it looks like a Norman Rockwell painting, basically. <laughs> the, all, the Ameri- all the Smallville sequences. Because they wanted to ground it before they finally bring him to Smallville and everything just explodes in an explosion of pop, of color, of, of zaniness, of comic book action. But by that time, you're already invested. None of that is in part two. Part two is just slapstick. It's just silliness. And it only survives based on the goodwill you have from the first one. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, so for- think, yeah so it's funny, this example, too, because it's like, it's definitely within the real realm of like DC. It's, you know, it's like, uh, it's the same like characters. It's the same genre. The fact that, you know, uh, a company is struggling to figure out how to shape this like sort of very unique form of pop art into the confines of cinema. It's the same struggle. So the thing that really stuck, stuck out about um, Superman 2 was for years well, and years and years, 
people wanted to pressure, were, were trying to pressure Warner Brothers into releasing the Donner Cut. <laughs> and they finally got their wish when Warner Brothers put out its massive DVD box set um, to celebrate the release of Superman Returns. They packed it in with every Superman movie up to that point, including right. a newly assembled Richard Donner cut of Superman 2. But even Richard Donner had maintained that he didn't have, he'd never actually finished his cut. Because again, he'd uh. been forced to put all his energy into finishing part one. So he didn't want to even have anything to do with a Donner cut. It was somebody else. It was one of the DVD producers who took the job. He assembled it based on Donner's notes from the 70s, basically, and uh, from the shooting script. Now, this kind of reminds me of uh, this kind of reminds me of how some novelists will have unfinished manuscripts, and then you know people will just like assemble a, a quote unquote novel out of it to sort of like restore it or at least bring it like bring it out to the public, and. It also points to a trend that you and I both know about these alternative cuts of movies where uh, studios will put out uh, cuts that are marketed as more authentic, uh, if not flat out calling it director's cut, flat out calling it like, you know, the authentic version, but actually don't have much in the way of input from the person who, the person who originally helmed the movie. Uh, I think good examples of those would be uh, the director's cut for Alien, um, which was marketed as like, you know, uh, it's right. based on Ridley Scott's original vision or original cut and really would later say like I made those cuts for a reason <laughs> like yes I filmed I filmed that really long movie and then when it became a theatrical cut those cuts weren't like executive notes that was me being all like yeah we gotta fit this in a you know, reasonable time frame but I think um, for the 30th anniversary that he finally did his own uh, yeah. version of that right yeah, he did. He did. But the first release, like I remember, you know, that's infamous. That's right. That's right. They added footage that he'd taken out. They wanted to pad it either for home video or for a TV broadcast or something. Because the longer the film would be, the more ads you can sell. Yeah, that's right. And that used to be a thing. That used to be a thing. But um, the thing with the Richard Donner cut, in the end, when he heard about what the DVD producer was trying to accomplish, he actually gave his blessing. Mm. And when you watch the thing, when you watch it, it's a nice little time capsule of what could have been. But you realize also that, you know, it would never, it was never going to be as good as it was in people's heads for 20 years. And that's what I'm worried about. I mean, that's what I'm thinking could very well happen to Justice League moving forward. Because what if it doesn't redeem Snyder? What if it doesn't redeem Ben Affleck as Batman? Yeah, um, you know, what if he doesn't do any of those things? Then what will this movement have been about? I mean, in the long term, I kind of take an apathetic view about it. Not in the sense that I don't care for the Justice League movie, but in the sense that uh, there is no. No, it's okay. Like, I, I don't care enough for both of us. Yeah, yeah. There's no. There's no like the reaction to the Snyder Cut in the future. I think is just going to be the reaction that it's going to get. You know, like like it's prejudged. Like. Uh, there are so many diehard stands for the DC Extended Universe uh, writ under uh, Snyder and Nolan and all that stuff who are all like, well, you know, uh, which is these movies are actually all good. They're very different from Marvel, but there's a Marvel conspiracy out there that's, you know, ruining their critical reception. Like, if the Snyder Cut comes out, they'll just be like, they'll still stand for that movie. You know what I mean? They'll still stand for it the same way they even stand for the theatrical cut. <laughs> I can respect that kind of passion, honestly. 
I, I just want to know whether or not the enthusiasm could possibly be misplaced. Um, <laughs> because look at it this way. I mean, over the years, there have been a lot of alternate cuts of movies. Not to this extent, maybe. But sometimes whenever these alternate cuts come out, they don't necessarily add much. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. I mean, they, they can add footage or they can change a punchline. Or change the camera angle, but you know, did, a lot of them don't didn't really enhance the overall experience. Yeah, in very like, rare uh, cases they did. Trivial sometimes. Yeah, like um, Deadpool two. There's an extended cut on the home video release, which apparently a lot of people have been downloading, but they can't tell the difference because you know some of them are just seeing it for the first time, and they and you know pirates don't necessarily label their files. <laughs> when, mm-hmm. uh, on what on what what cut they're posting, and they're like, it's not as good as I thought it would be. What they don't realize is they were actually watching the extended cut, which changed maybe about 50 percent of all the punchlines with alternate takes. So it really does not land the same way as it did in the theater. Like entire jokes are all different now. Yeah. So they're one. These people are left wondering what the hell was the fuss about, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. assuming you like Deadpool in the first place. Yeah. Uh, I think there are some cuts that don't improve the movie necessarily. Like, off the top of my head, I can't really recall too many. But there are also cuts that actively make the film worse. I think one good example of that would be the movie Bad Santa, which, okay, you know, hold, uh, stay with me here. This is going to be an extremely subjective take. But uh, Bad ahead. Santa, the Billy Bob Thornton movie, where he plays uh, sort of like a grumpy, miserable, unlikable mall Santa. Uh, in the original movie, um, there's a lot more comedy. Uh, there's a lot more. It, it's, it has a lighter tone. And it opens with a monologue that sort of gives you a window into uh, the bad Santa character. And the director's cut version of it sort of flips that and makes the movie actively darker and even removes the monologue. And so what happens is instead really? of having a comedy with dark notes, you end up getting this like this mean-spirited work that sometimes tries to crack a few cheap laughs. I get you. I get you. I think that a big part of where the ecstatic reaction to this Justice League release is coming from is this notion that the addition of alternate or unearthed or hidden or previously unreleased footage automatically would make something better yeah. than what the mean old studio showed you two years ago. Yeah, like um, you add stuff in the hopes of making it better, but adding doesn't necessarily do that. Uh, it takes, you know, you can't polish a turd. You know, like for example, actually a great example would be, I think, the Daredevil movie. I think Daredevil, the 2003 movie starring our man, Batman, Ben Affleck as Daredevil. Right. Um, which, by the way, just for a little aside, which, by the way, after he donned that Daredevil outfit and received middling, you know, praise for it or criticism, he was like, I'm never going to play a superhero again. That's me, Ben Affleck. <laughs> never going to play a superhero again. And he <laughs> but Shows what he knows. Anyway. Uh, but Daredevil, um, the movie is as 2003 as you can get. Uh, there's a there's a tack, there's a tacky romance in it. Um, you know, there's like cheesy over the top bad guys. And the director's cut uh, that was released later 
um, sort of adds 30 minutes, changes the, the, the arc of the movie so that there's less romance and more like, quote unquote, detective work uh, connecting Wilson Fisk to the identity of the Kingpin. And I think the movie is improved, but it doesn't necessarily make it like worth watching all over again. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I do. Three-point landing! Um, another example that I can think of that'll um, clearly show my age, I think, would be Highlander 2. Ooh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> that is a legendarily awful film. Okay, that is a god-awful sequel to a classic cult movie. You gotta educate, you gotta Lam- educate me on this because I don't know anything about Highlander mythos, Highlander fandom, and the Highlander films. In fact, I was under the impression that Highlander 2 was a, was a, was a, was a wildly worshipped work. But you're telling me that the theatrical cut of this movie is derided? <laughs> Do you not see my face? I don't even know if you're being sarcastic at this I'm point. I'm 100% serious, bro. <laughs> no! <laughs> <laughs> Okay, fine, fine, fine. Okay, listen to this. This is a pitch that the writer, I think his name was Gregory Wyden or whatever. He made this, I think, he was still in film school. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to widening my film knowledge. Very nice. <laughs> I, I, God damn it. He, <laughs> he wrote a treatment for an immortal warrior, an immortal Scotsman, right? Who was part of a race of immortals who live their lives through the centuries and can only be killed by chopping off the other dude's head, okay? Mm-mm. So their goal is the series tagline. There can be only one. Because the logic goes that if you chop off your enemy's head, you absorb all of his knowledge, all of his power, all of his skills. So if they all end up killing each other, there's only one left, he becomes like the ultimate. Okay? I feel like this That's is an apt metaphor for today's late-stage capitalism, but go on. <laughs> With a Queen soundtrack. But anyways, the film was ultimately directed by Russell Mulcahy, who at that time was a known music video director. And um, he brought a lot of style into it, especially with the way that flashbacks were presented, highlighting the different stages of the Highlander's life throughout the centuries. Um, the guy they got to play the lead, the, the, the lead, the, the titler Highlander, was Christopher Lambert, a Frenchman who barely spoke English, his only big role up to that point to English-speaking audiences was as Tarzan, which didn't require much <laughs> dial- didn't require much dialogue, to be fair. So you had this Frenchman pretending to be a Scottish Highland warrior who grows up through the centuries, and at some point his mentor is Sean Connery, who teaches him in the ways of the immortals. I and Sean Connery is at this point a 2,000-year-old Spanish noble who was actually born an Egyptian and he gets decapitated by Clancy Brown. I love how, I love how people, you know, you know, like whitewashing is a real issue in Hollywood. And I just, and I just want to say Highlander like really, really took it to the extreme. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? To be fair, I will watch Clancy Brown and Sean Connery in pretty much anything. That's true. That, that, that is true. <clears throat> I'll even watch them in Carnival. <laughs> hey, Carnival wasn't bad. I just wish they ended it. Yeah, me too. Anyway, Clan- Clancy Brown. <laughs> Clancy Brown, I love him. He was like, he's my favorite Lex Luthor. He was Lex Luthor in Superman the Animated Series, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, 
and he was the he was a guard in the Shawshank Redemption, and now he delights millions of kids around the world as Mr. Krabs. <laughs> I want I want I wish Clancy Brown. I think he's too old for this now, but I wish he actually played Lex Luthor physically because he's like seven foot twenty five or something, <laughs> and would actually be able to stand next to Superman. <laughs> oh wait, he played that giant demon at the beginning of Thor Ragnarok. You know when Thor was on that hanging on that <laughs> chain. <laughs> he was that demon, that fire demon thing. Yeah, yeah, he's cool. cool. Anyways, uh, okay, I think so we just, I think so we just went off the rails there for a moment. But, <laughs> I'm you know, sorry. That's what okay, fine. We start talking about Clancy Brown. <laughs> so the film continues in 1986, the modern day. There's only a handful of immortals left, and one of them is Clancy Brown, and the other one is the Highlander, Connor McCloud, played by Christopher Lambert. And of course, the film ends with an epic sword fight between the two of them. And um, it is it is great. It's awesome B movie fun with a killer Queen soundtrack um, that that they signed on because the music video director who directed the film was a friend of theirs who'd done a couple of their videos, so it was an easy sell. And that's why they wrote Princes of the Universe. Uh, it's a kind of magic. Um, who wants to live forever? They did like five songs for this thing. Because they just really love the idea of the concept. And the idea of a dude with a sword killing bad guys through the centuries is kind of awesome. And it led to a six-season TV series and, unfortunately, four sequels. Unfortunately. (laughs) Because the first sequel took away everything that was cool about the first one. They were not a mysterious race of immortals traveling silently through the centuries, doing battle with each other away from mortal eyes. No. The second movie established that Sean Connery and Christopher Lambert were aliens. What? I knew it. I knew it. I was thinking it's not aliens. It's not aliens. It's (laughs) fucking aliens. Wait, it's not. I'm not even done. (laughs) I know. They're aliens. They're aliens from the planet Zeist. That's Z-E-I-S-T, kids. Zeist. They're aliens from the planet Zeist who tried to lead an uprising against the evil warlord Katana. Played by Michael Ironside. I'm sorry, you guys can't and hear then, me, but I'm doing the blinking man gif. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so they they lost the fight. They rebelled against the warlord. And their punishment was they got to be sent through a trans-dimensional portal to Earth, Earth. Where they have to live out their lives as amnesiac immortals in a battle to be the last one. So, what's the director's cut version of this? Is it better or worse? Because I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, back to what you were saying earlier about polishing a turd. <laughs> They've tried so many times. Every time it comes out on a DVD and then the Blu-ray. Oh, wait. Oh, I forgot the worst part. I forgot it. It starts in like 21st century, okay? The Highlander is now an old man because after defeating all his enemies, apparently he became mortal. So he's but so he's the and, reverse. He's the reverse one. You know how Jet Li was supposed to kill everybody and then like become more powerful. He killed everybody and became <laughs> yes, mortal. <laughs> yes, exactly. But he still retains all the knowledge and skills of all the dudes he whacked, including the ones that those dude dudes whacked. Right. So. Wow, the layer is I'm gone never watching this these movies anymore. I never, never, never. No, you have to watch. No, you have to watch this. No, no. The ozone layer. The ozone layer is gone. Okay, <laughs> and the only one who can save them is Connor McCloud, the Highlander, because he has all this technical know-how in his head. 
the accumulated knowledge of the centuries, and he builds basically a force field. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, he builds a force field, okay? He builds a force field that colors the world red, but it keeps them safe. He puts a force field where the sounds, ozone layer used to be. So wretched. It sounds so awful. <laughs> and everybody hates him for that. Number okay, he saved their lives on the one hand, but on the other hand, he turned the entire planet into a hot box. So everyone's <laughs> sticky and miserable, but you know they're alive. It's and then they find a reason to bring Sean Connery back for no other reason than that the people loved him from the first movie. And then he dies like 10 minutes later anyway. So it's really, really bad. Now, the DVD and the Blu-ray, they try and fix some stuff. They erased all the references to the alien planet. They changed the color of the force field around the planet from red to blue, as if that made a difference. They changed some of the editing of the fight scenes. It just, it didn't make it a better movie. It made it a different movie, a slightly different movie, but it didn't make it a better one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I, I get what you're saying. Like, it, like, they made all it, these changes, but these changes, because I'm looking it up right now, these changes just seem like they're, you know, they're like, like, do you want vanilla or do you want chocolate ice cream? Do you want red skies or blue skies? Do you want, you know, the sword to go swoosh or do you want to go, go swash? No, you're right. It was like, do you want chocolate or vanilla? But it's still two girls, one cup. You know, it doesn't help anything. Wow, that's a really great <laughs> metaphor. Because <laughs> it really was. You know that, you know, the, uh, the, and the, the, your two girls, one cup metaphor is so dangerous. I think people are going to have to Google that one. Everybody Google Two Girls, One Cup. <laughs> Let's not. Let's not. Never do that. Never. Nobody Google that, please. Well, you you, you invoked a 13-year-old reference, my boy. Oh, God. And then the third movie just pretends the second movie didn't happen. And then the fourth movie is based on a TV show, which pretends the second and third movies didn't happen. And then the fifth movie just made you want to kill yourself. So, I really want yeah. to kill myself. So what does that got to do with anything? The fact is home video made it possible for studios to milk more money out of the fans by promising something they'd never seen before, whether it was through extended sequences, alternate sequences, or even just deleted scenes that were brought in to either pad the movie or to just, you know, fill up a separate disc of supplementary material. Oh man, you know, you know who else is guilty of that? Who? Uh, Steven Spielberg. Talk to me. Steven's like, no, because you said like they just, they're digging ex- extra footage and padding it out and like, you know, resuscitating this stuff, not necessarily for, you know, so-called artistic reasons, but just so they can sell you the home video all over again. What did they do with Spielberg? I don't recall. Uh, he redid Close Encounters of the Third Kind twice and oh, he redid. But no, uh, but, that, but he, that was him. That wasn't just, that was him. Oh, yeah, but. Um, he was involved. He, by his own admission, there were, there were some executive requests. Is this like those stupid walkie-talkies that they took out? They, they, they took out the guns of the cops. Okay, okay. Let me, let me we're go, chasing E.T. and his order. friends. When Close Encounters of the Third Kind, what happened was there's a, like, there's a scene at the end, right, where he meets the aliens, he goes to the ship, and the original cut of the movie, like, they try to make it very ambiguous, you know, uh, you don't yes. see the aliens and everything like that. But in, the, right, in right. the re-release, they show, in the re-release to cinemas, they show, like, uh, lots of the, the space, in the ship interior, you know, a massive band up to a, you know, what was considered, like, state-of-the-art, you know, CGI graphics of, like, what the ship architecture looked like. And uh, Spielberg later said he regretted putting that in because 
as we, you know, as is obvious, it robbed the mystery of the aliens. And he also said that that was only put there because the executive said, look, we're not re-releasing Close Encounters of the Third Kind unless you give us something to market with. And he was like, all right, I'll give you some fucking alien visuals because that will look good in the trailer. Okay. The, the reason <laughs> that I think that's okay. Okay, it's not okay. It's <laughs> yeah, no. But, and it's not, and you know, but, okay. You know, sorry. For, before I go yeah, on, go like, it, it's, it's, my problem with it isn't a, it just it's just one thing, right? But for me, he's a repeat offender. <laughs> That's the thing, you know. Like fool no, me once, wait, okay, listen, whatever. Bear wait, with twice. me. Bear with me. All right. The all only right. thing that makes that somewhat bearable is that when the home video of the extended version actually was released, it also came with a version of the original one, so you could go back and forth. Something George Lucas denies to- us. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, we could that that's its own episode. Let, let's save that for another time, but seriously, I like the idea that you can watch what you saw in the theater or what you saw on TV and if they want to change something later on, fine. You can release that, but don't take away my choice. Don't make it something that I just have to go along with and pretend that this is what I was watching the whole time. And all the more, don't replace what I was watching this whole time and possibly fell in love with and tell me that I got to get used to the new version. That's the only way I'm going to have it. That's exactly what happened with Star Wars. That is um, what Disney Channel, oh, well, sorry, what Disney Plus is now doing, apparently. They're making alterations to their catalog films to make them family friendly. Yeah, you know what? I, I want to I wanna stop right there and say, like, you know what? Uh, like you said, I think this whole, like, Star Wars stuff, that's a whole episode uh, of its own. Yeah. So that's a, that's a definite yeah. stay tuned Sorry. for this. For the show, like we're gonna one right. day we're gonna tackle Star Wars. We're gonna talk about the special okay. edition. Sorry, and we're even sorry. gonna talk about the despecialized edition and all of that jazz. Oh, and yes. I look, I look forward to that episode. But you know, if we did that in this episode, we would. This would be four hours long, you know, <laughs> and would require you know an extended cut <laughs> that we'll change like two years later and not tell you about it. Seriously. Okay, fine. Let's go back to the topic at hand. Are there any extended, special, or director's editions that actually made the film better? Hmm. Okay, for my money, my vote would be uh, Almost Famous. A Cameron Crowe film starring Kate Hudson and Patrick Fugit that is a sort of loosely biographical tale of his time as a rock and roll writer back in the early 70s. And that movie... I love that film. Yeah. I love that film so much. Yeah, great soundtrack, right? Yeah. The movie, uh, the movie, it's also one of my favorite movies. This movie did well commercially and critically. So, you know, there's no need to, there's no compulsion to be all like, well, people didn't understand my work and executives meddled it, so I'm going to rectify it. No, no none of that shit. What happened was when he re- when when they released it on home video, they on DVD, they supplied the special editions came with what is called the untitled cut. It's called untitled, I think, because it's some kind of uh, music reference that I can't remember offhand right now. But this cut sort of like fleshes out a lot of scenes. It um, it sort of gives you more detail in every single aspect of the movie, and I think I like it a lot because. The changes that are made to the movie are evenly distributed. So it makes it feel imperceptible from a pacing perspective. Instead of other changes, movies that change by 
totally revising the third act or totally revising the first act kind of thing. Uh, In fact, it's come to a point where I've seen the untitled cut so often that I kind of mistake it for the theatrical cut. And I have to start talking to people and be all like, wait, you mean you didn't see that that scene? (laughs) Right, right, right. I got to ask though, okay? I mean, sorry, I need to ask. Um, Did it change your perception of the film? Did it change the way you appreciated it? Did it make it deeper? Did it make it more interesting? How did it hit you? I felt like it enriched the characters significantly um, because there are so many characters in that movie. Now, the most important ones, of course, would have to be like, you know, the mom, uh, the, you know, Kate Hudson's character, Patrick Fugit, and everybody else, and and Billy Krupp's character, the, 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 the guitarist, and maybe Jason Lee, the vocalist. Like, they all, those are, right. like, that, that's already, a, a, I just named five people already, and I'm already implying that there's so many other characters. So there's only so much room mm-hmm. to develop each character. And I think in the theatrical cut, Cameron Crowe acquits himself fairly well in balancing that. But in the... Absolutely. In the untitled cut, in the, he gives more room to the internal conflicts of the band, which in turn help uh, facilitate our understanding of how they treat uh, Kate Hudson's character poorly, which also informs the way she interacts with... Like, it's all it's all, domi- it's all positive dominoes, in my opinion. Okay, okay. Um, you should watch it if you haven't watched I, it uh, yourself. I have never seen the untitled cut, honestly, because I'm in love with the theatrical one, so I never saw a reason to seek out Exactly, right? one. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, we're always, you're always, you're always chiding. You know, we're always uh, joking with each other on this show about physical and digital. And I gotta tell you, I right. can lend you a copy. But the thing is, like, there there are films like The Godfather or Apocalypse Now that they have had many, many cuts over the years. Whether it's because they were shown on TV and needed to be padded out, like what we said earlier, to sell mm-hmm. more ads. Or sometimes they just added in entire subplots that they'd cut out for um, special video releases. Or sometimes Francis Ford Coppola just wanted to go back and tinker again with Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like… I don't think… I honestly don't feel… Um, sorry. I, I, I just don't feel that any of those made the films any richer. Yeah. It was fun to see extended footage. It was a novelty. But they didn't do anything to change my original opinions or my opinions of the original versions, which I consider to be superior in all honesty, because everything that comes after that is superfluous. One of the few that I, one of the few film series that I actually enjoyed with the additions, even if I completely acknowledge that they're absolutely superfluous, would be Lord of the Rings. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You know, like uh, Fellowship of the Ring got 27 minutes added when it hit the extended cut. And it was funny because, you know, they, they'd come out with a movie. A few months later, they'd have the home video. Mm-hmm. And then right before or just when the sequel came out, they'd release the extended cut. And they did this three years in a row. Yeah. And with the first one, the Fellowship of the Ring, they added 27 minutes. With the two towers, they ordered added 49 minutes, 42 minutes. And then with the Return of the King, they just went all in. They added an hour. Okay, <laughs> <Yeah>. so <laughs> but but the thing is, those even if you know that everything that's added isn't entirely necessary, except for one or two bits, in it, it doesn't stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. Okay. You you're grateful to be spending more time in this universe with these characters, going on these adventures. It mm-hmm. doesn't 
it's a little bit self-indulgent. Yes, it is. Absolutely. But it's not obnoxious. Does that make sense? Yeah. No. Okay. You know, I have three things to say to the stuff you said earlier. Okay. Uh, number one, I think what helps the Lord of the Rings. Uh, first of all, one of the things that makes, uh, I think, Almost Famous and Lord of the Rings possible, because these are these are newer movies. These movies came out around 1999 to 2003, okay? And this is at the height of DVD. And I think the idea of the extended cut of a movie was driven in large part by the DVD market and the notion of trying to sell premium editions of these things, you know? So you would get, you could pay like a few bucks, you know, 15 bucks for the regular edition of, say, you know, Spider-Man. Or you would spend right. like thirty dollars for a two disc edition with all the fancy features, and you know, right. um, those are that's for a, a slightly commercial superhero movie that tends to have its story or its ideas sort of locked down tightly. But in the case of more so-called, you know, I, I'm lucky to say, so-called auteur projects, um, there is definitely an appeal to say, oh, you know, we're going to release this DVD as a four disc edition or a three disc edition, and we're going to give you like. A big cut, so a, a big, you know, massive like director's cut to go along with the theatrical cut. So that definitely helped, and I think also what helps with that uh, is that knowing that a DVD is there, the director can sort of actively plan about that instead of being all like, "I have to rush the, the theatrical cut and sort of figure out what my definitive cut is later." And that's, I think, in sharp contrast to your complaints about Apocalypse Now and other movies is that the value of their cuts has been sort of undermined by how often they have done it. You know what I mean? Like, So for yeah. anybody who's a fan of Apocalypse Now or a fan of um, uh, even Blade Runner up, up, uh, up until the final cut came out, there is, right. uh, for many people, no quote-unquote definitive edition. You know what I mean? Like, it, 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 When you have eight different cuts of a movie, people, you know, it's impossible to say which one is like, the definitive version. Okay, that one I'm gonna go with Ridley Scott. Mm-mm. I think I like I like the final cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, he uh, didn't, he didn't get to finish before. entirely, right? He didn't get to finish his original. Yeah, and all the others were just mishmashes of other people as trying to assemble his intent or Mm-mm. trying to do something for the European market or you know for home video and all that. Mm-mm. And he didn't actually get to really put his stamp on the thing until what was it, 2006? When he did the final cut, 2005? Mm-mm. I so think it was 2007. That's, that's yeah, ex- yeah. So in that case, I in that case, to be perfectly honest, I am happy for Zack Snyder that he's finally gonna get to show the world what the hell he had in mind all these years. It'll finally put to rest, if nothing else, for better or worse, it'll put to rest all the conspiracy theories regarding the actual content of his Snyder Cut. That is fair, and yeah. I, whether or not I lo- I'm going to enjoy it, I am actually looking forward to seeing it. I'm not kidding. I really am. Yeah, I mean, this because is a real, see- real put-up-or-shut-up yeah. moment. Not to be harsh or say like, oh man, you got to put right. it on me. But, you know, it's a put-up-or-shut-up moment. It's like all the conspiracy theories, like you said, all the conspiracy theories, um, we can be all like, okay, now he's had a chance to fix it. Or, fi- or finish it, you know, now the ambiguity goes away. Because, you know, it also adds, it also, it also adds to the whole notion that, that Joss Whedon essentially destroyed the integrity of that original intent. Because Joss Whedon, as we know, was brought in, he was the director of the event, first two Avengers movies. He was the creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Firefly, Serenity, 
dollhouse. He already had a track Drive. record of of writing. Uh, he he had a track record of doing ensemble shows, ensemble productions with snappy dialogue, plot twists, and all that sort of thing. So he was brought in after Snyder was uh, after Snyder exited the project. Whether that was willingly or unwillingly is not up for discussion at this point. I think it's not relevant. But for whatever reason, Snyder left the project, and Joss Whedon was brought in. And depending who you ask, he either reshot or rewrote or added to between 10% and 60% of what we actually saw. So if we're going to get, if Snyder's going to get a chance finally to show the world what he wanted us to see two years ago and Warner Brothers is willing to put their full might behind it, then I am willing to sit down for a couple of hours and see it. I don't know if it's going to be any good, but yeah, I think I'm going to give it a chance, honestly. (laughs) I mean... I don't know how much of Warner Brothers' green light in this case came from the fact that the hashtag actually had an impact, release the Snyder Cut, or the fact that there's pretty much there are pretty much no active productions happening right now, and this is something they had sitting around in their vault. So why the hell not? Let's just do post production work on this. Yeah, yeah, no, no I, already, I think I think you're we already own addendum. Uh, you know, as you as we as we said already, uh, this is coming out on HBO Max. And if you're gonna launch a stream, right. if you're gonna launch a video on demand streaming platform like Netflix or CBS All Access or whatever or Disney Plus, you gotta have some must see content that is exclusive to the platform. And I, I'm I'm I've been, oh, yeah. I've been led to understand that that was that one of the tentpole contents pieces of content that was gonna launch with HBO Max was the Friends reunion special, the one that. Uh, well, you know, bring Ross, Rachel, and the gang together, you know, to uh, talk about like the Friends legacy or some stuff. Now, uh, right. there was a lot of wrangling to get those uh, schedules to align, and it was going to push through. But then, the coronavirus pandemic threw a wrench into that. So, I'm, absolutely, yeah. So, I'm, I'm not casting any like negative aspersions necessarily on it. I'm just saying is they don't have Friends special, so it's like you know what? Why not? Let's bring the Snyder Cut out. You know. To launch with HBO Max. Right. Because it's going to please a certain segment of the fan base. Yeah. It's going to make something to get people curious. Talking. It'll bring in even the non-fans. Yeah. And it's something that nobody else could possibly have. Yeah. And right now, um, you're right. You're absolutely right. Having unique content is something that's absolutely imperative. But on top of that, in addition to having unique content, you also need to have a variety of content. And that is what's kicking Disney Plus in the butt right now. Mm-mm. Because, you know, in trying to make everything streamlined and family-friendly, a lot of people realize that if you don't have kids that need to be distracted by this, then it's okay to cancel your subscription after watching The Mandalorian. Yeah. That's why as much as people predicted the downfall of Netflix as every major studio started taking back their toys... Netflix now is the big winner in this quarantine because people are watching more streaming material than ever. And Netflix is the only one that's got the variety to keep them engaged. Yeah. I mean, you could watch you so, know, you know, Amazon Prime or whatever, but you know, Netflix is still you know, king of exclusive and international content, more importantly, uh, which I think Amazon absolutely. does not uh, uh, hold much like uh, stock in. 
And it has that sweet spot of, you know, being an adjective just by virtue of its brand name. It's true. You know, yeah. what are you going to, yeah. right? You know, it's, it, what are you doing? Amazoning. No, <laughs> nobody's doing that. Yeah. Nobody's Amazoning and chilling. <laughs> priming. Even fewer. Priming. Are, They're priming. Even fewer are, are Amazon priming and chilling. <laughs> Prime and chill. Autobots roll okay. out. No, Autobots chill out. So yeah, okay. When Justice League comes out next year, if it's going to be a film or a mini series event, we should definitely check back and look in on it. Yeah, watch party, baby. <laughs> Hopefully, the quarantine will be done then by then. But you know, no promises. All oh right. God, that's depressing. <laughs> I think that's oh, that is boy. that is an episode. <laughs> Absolutely, that was fun. <laughs> we are going to. Release this, and y'all are gonna listen to it. And at some point, we will re- we will replace it with a version that's ten minutes longer. And that's what you're gonna have to live with. And sometimes you'll and you'll get alternating cuts where you know I speak first or or, or Misha speaks first. Right, and then you all can argue about who went first. <laughs> <laughs> but we're only giving it twelve parsecs to do it. Oh wait, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> And okay, that's been Three Point Landing. Thank you for listening to us straight from quarantine. We are still Misha. And I'm Matthew. Let us know what you think of Zack Snyder, release the Snyder Cut, and Justice League in the comments. Follow and us on Facebook. And what, what? What What did I do now? Why? Why? What? What's uh, wrong? Uh, we were uh, finally doing an outro. God <laughs> damn it. <laughs> uh, don't forget to message us Why? on Facebook.com slash Too Much Gaming. Send us all your questions, your rants, your this isn't uh, too opinions much about Director's Cut. We want to build up a question bucket episode, you know, so we can uh, talk about all your thoughts about pop culture in this quarantine. Oi, this wasn't too much gaming, fool. Oh, did I say too much gaming? <laughs> there's my there's my three point landing. Too much gaming. I'm I'm fired. <laughs> Why can't we ever open or end these things properly? <laughs> okay, okay, wait. <laughs> and okay, I'm gonna give it give it a shot. Uh, okay, so yeah. And that has been. Another episode of Three Point Landing coming to you straight from the quarantine. I'm Matthew. I'm Misha. And good night. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was easier, wasn't it? Yeah. Follow us on Facebook and let us know in the comments what you think about the upcoming Justice League. Next time, we're going to talk about skin diving. What? This episode of Three Point Landing was produced, recorded, and distributed under quarantine by Big Baby Studios. Follow us on Facebook at Three Point Landing PH.